Hello and welcome to the Trainer Tools podcast for July 2016, our 32nd episode. I'm John Tomlinson. I don't know if you can hear lots of background noise. If you can, I apologise. And the sound quality on the rest of this recording isn't actually great. I'm afraid uh, our guest, the esteemed Gary Platt, our resident transactional analysis expert, his audio isn't always quite as good as we might hope. So I apologise for that in advance. But the content is great. It's worth listening to. It's worth persevering. And it's worth hanging on to the very end where you will hear Gary's best ever Thunderbirds joke. So if you're interested in learning more about transactional analysis, I hope you find this useful. I'm here again with Gary Platt. Hi, Gary. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Our resident expert in transactional analysis. We're going to explore a bit more about that today. Is that right? That's correct. So the previous podcast you did on transactional analysis, TA, was Ego States. So where, and if ever, if anybody's listening to this hasn't heard that, I suggest you go back and listen to it. So where do you go next with it? Well, the next step is that uh, through Ego States, when we communicate with one another, that's when a transaction takes place, which is... Hence the name. Yes, exactly. Transaction analysis, yeah. So... What Byrne identified were three different sorts of transactions to which you could append sorts of rules. And there was a fourth sort of transaction to which he said there were no, well, there were no relevant or related rules uh, that you could uh, employ. So this, you said Byrne, this is the guy who invented this transactional analysis fit uh, theory. Do you want to just remind people who that is? Yeah, uh, Eric Byrne was uh, originally a Freudian psychologist. He was unhappy with the relationship that he had with his clients uh, because he was the one who knew what was going on and his clients didn't. And he wanted to create a psychological framework that a, a layperson could, to some degree, understand and consequently be much more informed and engaged with the psychological therapy process. But it's about how we interact with each other, is that right? What, TA? Yeah, yeah, yeah. is that the primary theme? Well, it, you know, it's an analysis of, uh, of human behaviour from a psychological perspective. My understanding of it was, uh, I, I'm not an expert in TA at all, um, but my understanding when it's because of the name transactional analysis, I'd sort of made the assumption that its focus was more about how we, uh, the behaviour, but the behaviour with regard to other people. Well, it's, yeah, it's certainly true. The point of application of transactional analysis is, I would say, probably in a therapeutic setting, you know, helping people deal with or respond to certain circumstances. And part and parcel of that is the way we interact and deal with other people. Right, okay. So with regards to learning and development, which is the the only area that I've ever been introduced to this theory. Yeah. The reason the reason that it's valuable for people in L&D is primarily because it's how we engage with other delegates on the course and also relates to how we teach things like assertiveness and whatever else. Yeah, I mean, from I suppose you can look at it in two levels. One is from a personal perspective uh, of the trainer. And if we are looking at training in a classroom environment, it gives the, the trainer an insight into their own behavior and where that comes from and the relationships that they generate with the learners who are there with them. 
And then, right. and then in a, a second level, it's about the concepts that transactional analysis um, uses, which can be applied in a business context. And when we talked about this previously, we looked at ego states, which was the sort of the metaphor, the parent, child, adult. And you talked through how exactly as you just said, how that helps us with self-awareness and self-regulation. Yes. Yeah. But, but also how useful that can be in terms of giving people kind of tools or techniques or insight into things like assertiveness or dealing with conflict. Yeah, it, it just applies itself in a lot of different contexts. And if the person is comfortable with the, you know, with the framework of transactional analysis, it becomes a natural framework to apply and use. So today you want to, I'd say, build on ego states, but talk about transactions. And yeah. you said there that Eric Bernard identified three types of transaction where there are rules and then one where there are no rules. Yes. So are you just going to, are you going to talk us through those? Uh, I am. And what we're talking about is when we communicate from one person to another, we send that communication typically from from one ego state to the other person's ego state. Uh, and what that creates is the beginning of a transaction. So do you want to talk us through those one by one? Is that yeah. the best way we can structure this? Yeah. So the first one is called a parallel, uh, or it's sometimes also referred to as a complementary transaction. Okay, and what is that then? Uh, well, what happens is that uh, I might say to somebody, excuse me, what time is it? you could suggest that that's coming from my adult ego state and I am directing it to the other individual's adult ego state. It doesn't sound, when I say what time is it, that it's coming from a sort of parental ego state, nor does it appear to be coming from a child ego state. It, it, it would most likely be coming from my adult to the other person's adult. And the response in uh, this instance is for the individual to say it's just coming up to you know, nine o'clock. And you can say that they have responded back from their adult to my adult. And in that circumstance, you would say that's a parallel or a complementary transaction. Right, because we recognise it's your adult because it's just about, it's just a factual question. Yes. It's yeah. not barked in a sort of parental way or it's not in yeah. a childish way. Yeah. Um, it's just what time is it? And the person just answers factually and rationally. Yes. And, and that's parallel, you said, or complementary. Correct. And you, now, said, you said, sorry, I was going to say, you said there was a rule around this. Well, let me, well, let me just do a couple more before I, uh, I explain what the rule is. Oh, okay, go on then. Keep us in suspense. So uh, there's adult to adult, uh, you know, but the complementary or parallel transaction can can run uh, from anything. So it could be, for instance, a manager speaking to a member of staff and is saying to the member of staff, what the hell were you doing when you did this report? You've not laid it out the way I told you. You've not used the figures I gave you. You haven't used any of the information and it's just not what I wanted. And in that circumstance, you could say, well, that appears to be coming from the parent and it's being directed to the other individual's child ego. So it's going from parent to child. Now, in, in this particular example, if the person who is being spoken to comes back and says something along the lines of, oh, God, look, uh, look, I am I'm really sorry, uh, um, uh, listen, uh, uh, give me till four o'clock and I'll, I'll get it. I'll, I'll get it changed. You can say that that person is moved, if you like, 
into the child ego state and is responding from their child to the manager's parent. And again, that would be a complementary or a parallel transaction. Right. So it doesn't necessarily need to be a straight line across parent no. to parent or adult to adult. No. As long as the person responds along the same line. Yes. Yeah. Now, the rule that is associated to a parallel or a complementary transaction is that effectively communication will continue between those two people. There will be exchanges of information. So, you know, the, the person who's asking what time it is and the person responding, they will continue to exchange information. The manager and the member of staff will continue to exchange information. It may not be a, a, an entirely satisfactory relationship for the member of staff, but whilst it remains like that, it will continue in that form. Right, so there's at least some communication going on. Yes, yeah. And that's, now, that's the rule around the parallel or complementary thing, okay. Yeah, communication continues, essentially. Now, let's take the next type of transaction, which is called a crossed transaction. And what happens in this instance, the person says, excuse me, what time is it? And the response in this instance is, I think it's about time you went and got yourself your own watch instead of asking me what the time is every 20 minutes. So why don't you go and do that? Ah, that's happened to me. <laughs> All right. So uh, in that circumstance, it, you would say that the individual has gone from adult to adult, but the response is parent to child. It's come back from their parent scolding the other individual for keep asking them what the time is. Now, that is what's called a crossed transaction. So the manager says to the member of staff, what were you doing when you did this report? You've not laid it out the way I told you. You've not used the figures I gave you. You've not formatted it the way I told you. What the hell have you been doing? And this time, the member of staff goes, well, if you gave it me in enough time, you wrote in something that looked like English and it made sense when it was down on paper. Well, maybe you get it back in the format that you wanted. You could say the individual has themselves come back from their parent to the manager's child. And again, we've got a cross transaction taking place. So, so is this lit literally, I mean, I know the diagram here and yeah. I, I suppose we're just going to have to explain. You did warn me about this to say it wasn't easy with, with visuals. Yeah, yeah. But the, um, so, so we've got these kind of three circles on one side, which go PAC, parent, adult, child. Yeah. Top to bottom. And on the yeah. other side, the same, the other person, yeah. parent at the top, adult in the middle, child at the bottom. So, yeah. we, so when we drew a line from one parent to the other person's child, we got a diagonal line. Yeah. And now we're going the other person's parent to the other child. We get another diagonal line and they literally form a cross in the middle. Correct. Did that, did that make sense as a visual, yeah. visual description? I know we both know the diagram. So. Yeah. So basically the transactions are crossing. They're not parallel. They cross. Uh, and that's called a cross transaction. Is that any cross? So in your example there where the manager barks at the employee, if the employee comes back adult to adult, yeah. the lines are literally crossing. Yes. Is that the same example of a cross? That, that, that would be a cross transaction. So as long as the lines cross. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, the rule with a cross transaction is that communication breaks down. Um, and essentially, a cross-transaction is what you often and frequently uh, hear uh, when you listen to an argument. Uh, it's a parent-to-child, parent-to-child, parent-to-child series of exchanges. 
And what's happening in an argument is that the individuals involved are not actually listening to what the other person says. They're often just waiting for a pause in order to be able to return fire. So in a cross transaction, communication is actually not taking place. Ever. It's never um, takes place. That's the rule. Uh, the, well, uh, there is a breakdown in communication because uh, uh, we're not effectively we are not listening to what the other person says. We're just, if you like, returning fire. When you're in parent mode, then does the theory say that you're not listening? No, no, no. Uh, you could be parent to parent. Uh, it can be parent to child, and the child comes back from child to parent. Um, uh, right. Just, okay. But it's just in a cross transaction, we are not, if you like, empathetic to what the other person is saying or, or, or we are trying to cross the transaction and stop communication taking place. Right. We're not empathetic. That makes sense because we're not in that ego state. So we're not responding to it. Yeah, that makes sense. OK, got it. All right. Now, the third type of transaction is what's called an ulterior transaction. And effectively, what this means is we say one thing, but we consciously mean another. So we verbalize one message, but we are actually sending a non-verbal message to the individual. So you present me with some work that you've done. And my response is to say, oh, yeah, that's a really nice piece of work. And you could say that verbally, I have just said from an adult to adult position that's a really nice piece of work but the tone and of my voice and the sneer in my voice clearly indicates that that is not what I'm saying I'm probably saying from my parent to your child this is rubbish what are you doing and so consequently what you can also say is that we say one thing but we we consciously mean another so is is um is that always kind of well, it wouldn't always be parent would it that could be child it could be it wouldn't be adult i guess uh, not typically no uh, and the the thing to remember with an ulterior message is that it is conscious we are doing it intentionally we say one thing verbally but we mean another non-verbally and uh, it, otherwise you know i might say one thing and somebody else might misinterpret it but that's a misinterpretation and that's not an ulterior message. The communication as a whole, taking into account the you know, the vocal, the visual, the whole, all of that, the communication as a whole is is not matching the actual words used, deliberately so. Yes. In order correct. in order yeah. to send a, an ulterior message. Again, that's this correct. sounds rather yeah. familiar. <laughs> I'm sure I've been, heard this before as well. Yeah. This this there's some really misquoted research uh, by Merabian that's that ties into this where and you're probably familiar with it where I can't remember the exact figures where he says that 70 um, percent of communication is non-verbal these figures are wrong but it's in this ballpark 10 percent is by tone and five percent is by the words alone and that is not what Merabian said Merabian talked about uh, the communication that being sent being if you like sympathetic so that if i say one thing if i say to you for instance oh yeah that's a really interesting piece of that's a really interesting story you've told me john thanks for telling me now <laughs> there verbally uh, you've just you know verbally 
verbally, I've just said that's a really interesting story, but non-verbally, I have clearly communicated that it's really boring. Now, Moravian said that in those circumstances, the predominant voice that we hear is the non-verbal one. You know, that's where, where it's basically where, where the verbal and the non-verbal is not complementary. Then we have a tendency to rely on the non-verbal message. Yeah, that is a massively misquoted um, piece of research, isn't yes. it? The number of times I've seen people write up the yeah, three yeah, V's yeah. In, in a communication training piece and, yeah, yeah. and talk about the, uh, as you say, the non-verbal message being most of it. And yeah, it's only when you've yeah. got that mismatch. And, and you're absolutely right. If you do, if, if you say, oh, thanks, Gary, that was brilliant. Of course, you hear the non-verbal message. You, of course, in that case, the tone. Yeah, yeah. And if we could see each other, then the, yeah. then the body language. And, and that's yeah. the same thing you're talking about now, this ulterior message. Yeah. And, and the other interesting thing, you know, about that, you know, this particular process uh, with Moravian is that, you know, when, when trainers quote that research, uh, what I always ask them is, how does radio work then? What do they say to that? <laughs> well, it's usually, well, you know what, what's, what's incredibly interesting about this, John? Before Christmas, I was working with a client where I brought this issue to their attention and they were incredibly uh, defensive. They didn't want really? to hear it. Yeah, yeah. The, but it's like it's uh, like a, it's like a sort of a trainer nugget, isn't it? It's one of those things that you know how you have certain nuggets of content that yeah. you chuck in, and you know yeah. it's kind of wow, that's kind of a bit game changing, and you mm. you know people latch onto it. It's kind of it's sort of one of those, isn't it? It's quite. Yeah. I mean, it's probably now a little bit overheard, but it, it, it's it's one of those things that you kind of look forward to chucking into a training course, and you ripped it from them. Yeah, and uh, they're in quite aggressive actually about it that. They didn't like, um, you know, uh, I, I think we should offer this as an option that people can either accept or not accept. Well, you know, you can offer the you could offer the, the suggestion that the earth is flat. That doesn't mean it's right, which is effectively. Yeah, you, know. you should at least quote the research correctly, shouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, what, now uh, what Burns said is that we always hear the nonverbal message. We don't hear the verbal message. We hear the the, the under the undertone. We hear the nonverbal, and so consequently, you know, a trainer who is working with and uh, speaking to people in the classroom, if their nonverbals do not match their verbals, in, in other words, they say one thing positively, but their body language is indicating something else completely. Um, you can guarantee that the people in the class, the people who are, are looking at you and listening to what you're saying, will hear the non-verbal message. Right, and this complements the Moravian stuff. Uh, yeah, absolutely. They will hear the non-verbals. Yeah, yeah. So in that in the example you gave before, if the the kind of on paper verbal message was adult adult, but actually there was a lot of passive aggressive in there, which yes. could be child, for example. Yeah. So that could be, for example, child to what would a child be appealing to in that situation? A well, child to adult. I mean, uh, what, what you could hear in the workplace: uh, you're training somebody, and what you hear from the person you're training is something along the lines of, "Oh, I don't really understand this." And, and what you've got there, a, a, a verbal message that's saying this non-verbal message that's saying. 
I don't understand it. But you've also got this very shrill, childlike voice. Now, uh, what you can also hear is somebody saying, no, no, I understand it. I get it. And, and, you know, and, and sometimes they don't. And what you're looking for is a sympath is this sympathetic or matching message. Well, the rule around that, as you said, is you actually hear the ulterior message, yeah, yeah. Um, the nonverbal. So what, how would one respond to that uh, I think in order to ensure communication? I suppose we have to parallelly fight it. What my response is often is that is literally to say, well, look, I, I know you're saying that, but you, your voice doesn't sound very confident about it. And I feed back what I saw or heard compared to what I hear verbally. Right, so you're just reflecting that yeah, back. Yeah, you, just, you don't need to be confrontational about it. You, you, you're basically sharing your doubt in terms of you know what people are saying and what people are doing. That's a very facilitation thing, yeah. isn't it? Just reflecting that back. Yeah. 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 Okay, so we've talked about those three examples there where we yeah. had them in parallel or complementary where communication happens and we had them crossed mm. where the communication breaks down. Yeah. And I, I like the way you said it where you, you kind of don't get the empathy, you don't get what the other person's from, so you're not really listening mm. or you're not really hearing what the person's saying. Mm. And then the third one you talked about there, which was about the ulterior thing, yeah. where the, there's a mismatch in terms of the verbals and non-verbals. And in that case, we hear the non-verbal, the ulterior message. Correct, yes. So where are we going next with this? Well, just to say that the fourth uh, type of transaction uh, were referred to as what are called angular transactions. And, and basically, this was, you'd almost call this a get out of jail um, option. It was every other transaction that was not crossed, not ulterior and not parallel or complementary. Uh, and what Byrne said about angular transactions was that there was no rule that you could associate with those. Right. So an example of that might be if you ask the time in a nice adult to adult way. Yeah. And I responded child to child. Correct. And in that case, there's no actual rule no. associated whether, with whether the communication might happen, might not happen. Yeah, there's nothing, you could, um, there's nothing that you could reliably draw from that. Okay, and these are called angular transactions. Yes, uh, everything that's not, not parallel, crossed or ulterior. Yeah, everything else transactions. Yeah, yeah. So those are the kind of different transactions. So... What use is this for us? Well, the use uh, of, of understanding these sorts of transactions is being able to apply it when uh, something is not working as well as you would like it to work in terms of communication between you and another. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to illustrate this with a, uh, just a couple of examples. I was in a, I'm training a group of people. And uh, it's a group of actually, in this instance, quite young people. And halfway through this session, and one of the members of this group says something that is quite racially offensive, straight out of the blue. And you've got to bear in mind that I was born in 57. So I was brought up in and through a time when being racist was the default position, you know. And Jim Davidson on the telly and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Till death is due part. Um, love thy neighbour. Love thy neighbour. So, you know, it, it, was, it was just the default setting at that time. 
you know, and um, so and the point I'm making is, I, you know, I am aware of what can be racially offensive because of, I, I was mainlined on it when I was younger. Right. <laughs> now, what happens to me when that happened, and it may well be different for other trainers and other people, is that the first thing I did was to feel frightened by it. Fri- frightened? It, yeah. To hear something that, that was that offensive and racist. And I'm quite, you know, I'm quite repelled by it. And I, I physically found myself taking a step backwards. So for clarity here, Gary, you're not a racist. <laughs> yeah, want to be sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People are getting the wrong end of the stick here. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm really quite frightened to hear this person using this kind of racist. It would be quite like shocking, that. yeah, because it's so out of place with what you hear nowadays, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, I just said I'm not a racist. I think to some extent, somebody of my age, because of the main, because of the you know the the upbringing, I'd probably have to say yes, I am racist, and I am constantly having to look at myself. Well, not constantly, but I am repeatedly looking at myself in terms of what I'm thinking, how I'm behaving, and where is that coming from, and how do I. Uh, defeat it or resist it or neutralize it do you mean your your, your biases that you have kind of yes. hard, hardwired in from your yes from your youth but knowing you and knowing your values that appears to clash with your own values exactly and and that's where some of the conflict comes from you hear one thing and you feel another yeah that's really interesting so anyway this um, this young man it was says this really racially, racially offensive thing I physically take a step back. I feel threatened. And it's in those circumstances that I use TA. You know, I do not go through life thinking, oh, here's John, I must be an adult. Or here's Mary, I must be a parent. And, And there are indeed people I've encountered who sort of try to run their life by controlling which ego state they're in. Um, and I remember once I was, I was training somebody um, on, at Sheffield Uni and I just delivered my finest Thunderbirds joke. <laughs> okay. Delivered the punchline and this woman to whom I was, who was working just looked at me with this blank stare. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, have I offended her? Is she a member of the Tracy family? So I asked, <laughs> you know, is something wrong? And she looks at me and says, no, that's so funny. I'm locking it away. And, uh. and, and what you got was somebody who enjoyed humor through an adult ego state. But it was to the exclusion of actually any sense of humor. Oh, she was serious. I thought that was one of those ulterior things. Oh, no, she was absolutely serious. Because she sounds like a barrel of laughs. Yeah, exactly. And you do, you do encounter people who have sort of read three chapters of, um, you know, a book on TA and presume that adult ego state is the best ego state. It isn't. It depends on the circumstances. No, you know, no, absolutely. Someone tells you your best, their best Thunderbirds joke, you should be in child, I guess. Yeah, and, you know, if you see somebody doing something that's potentially dangerous and you want to see it stopped immediately, you are likely, not exclusively, but you're likely to go into parent and tell that person to stop immediately. 
Yeah. No, I mean, there's lots of examples where you could be in parent. It's not all about being shouty, is it? No, exactly. Exactly. It's not about being shouty or being silly uh, in, in child. There's a lot more to it. So yeah, there's, yes. plen- there's plenty of examples when the other ego states are perfectly acceptable. Yes. So, you know, if you're in a session, you're trying to brainstorm, there'd be, me- there'd be nothing better than being in child ego state because you're not bothered by being silly or crossing boundaries or thinking outside the box. Yeah, absolutely. And there's times when co- those are the best conversations to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's in those circumstances, in that setting, that I would use TA. Now, what happens to me when I feel threatened, we go into a fight or flight response. And uh, I think, uh, in many instances, what we're talking about there is moving into a child ego state or moving in, sometimes moving into a parent ego state. Oh, right. So if it's fight or flight. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't exclusively say that flight is child and fight is parent. I think, you know, uh, I think those things can be, there's some flex in that. Uh, I mean, I think you can go into fight in the child ego state, but certainly you are engaging outside of the adult ego state when you start to experience fight or flight. And would it therefore be true to say that people that are more likely to be passive as a default are they more like? Is that more linked to to child ego state, for example? And people yes. are more likely to be aggressive. Are they more likely to be adult, uh, not adult parents? Sorry, um, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily agree with the latter, but I'd agree with the former. I think passivity is often an adaptation of childhood. Well, aggression could be as well, then I guess. Yeah, it's it, it's not it's not as simple as saying oh, anger is parent and passivity is. It's not that simple. You know, you, I can think of scenarios where, you know, you could get a, num- a number of combinations of that. Can we just go back to your example there? Because you talked about you were on the training course. Someone came out with a, what was a, a racist comment which shocked you. And you yeah. found yourself actually being frightened, actually taking a step back. And you said you used TA then. In what, right, way, in what way did you use it? Right. Uh, so what happens is that when I feel threatened, uh, I go into flight mode, and, and it's an adaptation that I uh, created for myself when I was a child. You know, and, as, and for a four-year-old child, it was a pretty good adaptation. It got me out of a lot of problems, made life a lot easier for me. But, you know, as a 58-year-old, not quite so brilliant. Especially when you're the trainer. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, what happens to me when I, I'm put into these stressful situations, I have a physiological response. Uh, first is that my temperature gauge goes offline and I can feel myself getting very hot. I can feel my body temperature rising instantly. Uh, the second thing is I can't think straight. It's like I can't order my thoughts. And then the third thing is that I get all this energy and I want to move about. Hence, I was trying to move backwards. Now, whenever that happens to me, that's when I use a, a technique called grounding technique. Grounding technique simply allows me to access adult ego state, which sometimes is referred to as the executive function. And what's implied by that is that it's a good ego state to be in to make rational decisions about which ego state uh, might be appropriate or correct or most constructive in that circumstance. So grounding technique, you talked about this last time, actually. Do you want to just yeah. very, very quickly talk through what grounding technique does yeah. or, or how it works, rather? 
Yeah, grounding technique is, first of all, you become consciously aware of what you can see. And when I say consciously, you kind of log it. You know, what are the colours? What are the shapes? What is it that's standing out to you visually around you? Second, uh, what can you hear? Uh, what is it that audibly you can uh, register? And finally, what is it you feel in terms of uh, the temperature uh, where you're standing, the clothes you're wearing? And what happens is uh, you do this in your head. Uh, you don't need to verbalise it. And you do it, and what happens is you process a significant amount of information, and it allows you to sort of grab and hold adult ego state. And basically, the other thing to say about this, the more you do it, the more effective and quicker it becomes. And, you, can, you know, it becomes fairly rapid. And if you do it the first time and it doesn't work, it doesn't mean you can't do it. It's a bit like riding a bike. You've got to get on and fall off a bit. Yeah, and I, I can say the same. I, I use grounding technique if I find myself getting emotional yes. about about things in an emotional situation. Yeah, um, I use it similarly. And it, it, you can do it very quickly. You're absolutely right. And it pulls you back into that rational adult state. So so that's how you would use it in that situation where you in that, the example you gave us there when you felt quite threatened and you, you find yourself having that physiological reaction. Yeah, the physiological reaction is the trigger to think about grounding technique. Now, now, what was interesting in that instance, the minute I started to do that, I could access adult, and, and the adult was saying, this can't stand, you can't accept that. And basically, I gave myself permission to go into parent. You know, I pointed at him and said, that is the most offensive thing I have heard in years. If you do that again, you're out, and I will be telling the form master once we've finished here. He starts to give me a lot of verbal back about, you know, reasons why. And I said, and, and you know, and I'm still in parent and say, look, I don't care what your reasons are. It's unacceptable and it's not happening again. If it does, you're gone. And I'm doing this in controlling parent. And, you know, and that would be a classic example of where I think that would be completely and totally appropriate. Did you say it like that? Yeah. Blimey, that's a bit assertive. I've never seen you in that, that way, Gary. Well, no, you know, with the groups that I was with, with you, it was never necessary. You know, there was a sort of self-regulatory balance in that group from Virgin. You know, there are other circumstances where it's not present. And what you have to bear in mind as well is these were very young. When I say young people, I'm talking about 16, 17. And I don't think they'd fully develop this ability to self-regulate as much as, you know, older people have. Right. So it could be more appropriate in that situation to go into parent because you are facing somebody who's still, in some ways, a child. Yeah. Would you use the same tone with a grown adult? I think if, well, based on what this individual said, yes, I would. Right, okay. I was just outraged, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's not really to do with TA. I was just interested to know, because I've never spoken to anybody quite that um, assertively on a course. Well, you, you know, you only have to do that once every blue moon, don't you? Okay, well, that's quite an interesting example there. Um, can you give us any other sort of example of when you would use this? I can. At one time, we offered a professionally a professional qualification with a particular leading body. I won't say who it is or what the qualification was. But uh, they had asked for some feedback on some changes that they wanted to implement. 
And we have what's called a users forum. This is people who use our services a lot. And uh, we tell them about changes that are in the pipeline. Uh, you know, we give them uh, input on developments and we collect in feedback and views. And I did this for these changes that this uh, awarding body wanted to make. So it wasn't well received. Let's put it like that. And what I do is I write this up in a report format and I circulate it to the members of this committee who had asked for feedback. So, so far, so good. This person, we'll call him Mr. Smith, rings me uh, from London, rings my office in, at that time I was working in Lamington Spa. So I'm sat at my desk, the phone goes, and this is the sort of conversation that goes, hello, Gary here, can I help you? Smith here, I want to speak to Platt. And I go, oh, um, uh, yeah. So what's happened there, I've picked the phone up and said, hello, Gary here, which is adult to adult. This guy picks the phone up and goes, Smith here, I want to speak to Platt, which is parent to child. And I've responded from child to parent. So in the matter of microseconds, it's almost as though I've been manipulated into a particular ego state. Yeah, you've just been pushed into that this as a natural response, haven't you? Well, for me, it's a natural response. For other people, it might be to become very assertive, uh, you know, or, or aggressive, or, you know, or passive aggressive, whatever. But in that in that particular instance, I could feel myself being pulled into this adapted child, be passive, not a constructive position to be in. So, do you want to talk us through how you actually use TA? I did exactly the same. I could feel myself going into this unempowered state, hot, can't think straight, energized, standing up. This bloke is 120 miles away down in London and I'm stad- stood up in front of my desk like I'm in trouble. So I go through grounding technique and basically from adult, I ask myself, what do you want to do? Literally, what do you want to do? Now, it, it could be that... Um, I could have gone into parent and, you know, given this guy both barrels, but I was quite interested to know what his problem was. So now what happens is that I pick the phone up and say, uh, how can I help you, Mr. Smith? Completely inappropriate. Shouldn't have been circulated to the members of the committee. I'm sorry, Mr. Smith. What are we talking about? This report, this so-called report you've sent. Okay. Can you tell me what's wrong with the report? It's completely inappropriate. And now what you've got there is me going from adult to adult, adult to adult, adult to adult. And this guy, Mr. Smith, going from parent to child, parent to child. And what you've got now is a series of cross transactions and communication stops. Mr. Smith, in order to communicate with me, is going to have to go into adult ego state in order to reply back otherwise we're not going to get anywhere does that make sense to you right yeah so because you're just doing adult adult and not not responding to his trying to push you into child yeah it just nothing really happens until he moves yeah now um that's a conscious decision i've made to do that i'm not trying to wind him up i'm not trying to you're competing and yeah yeah exactly i'm not trying to compete I'm trying to get some facts and data from him. 
Now, what actually happens in that circumstance, by the way, I should just add something. I can do this. It doesn't mean there's going to be a successful outcome. It's, it's more than likely that the Mr. Smith has behaved like this since he was four years old. You know, and my 10 minute conversation with him over the phone is not going to alter Mr. Smith. But what it does do and what is important is at the end of that particular conversation, I can say I did my best to facilitate that process. I may not be successful. And in fact, I wasn't. Because what happened in that circumstance, this guy carries on being a rather nasty individual. And after four minutes, I decide to let this bloke have it with both barrels from parent because it's not having, it's having no impact. So I'm thinking maybe he needs to be pulled up by a parent to child response. So what, what I eventually do is say, look, Mr. Smith, let's remember who's paying whose salary. Ring me back when we can have a civil conversation and just put the phone down on him. Now, what was interesting is that that guy rang back in the afternoon and it was a different Mr. Smith on the phone. Uh, and what's clearly happened is that he's had time to reflect on his approach. He's had time to reflect that I wasn't going to go into child and basically allow him to, uh, well, I won't say abuse me, but, you know, push you around yeah and he, he you know i suspect he just thought i better approach this in a slightly different way so it worked in that sense because you eventually got communication between you yeah i mean you can you can say even though it's not a successful outcome it helps it, it allows you to leave a conversation without being uh, manipulated or in some way uh, pushed around well, I think in that way it was a successful outcome. Plus, once they reflected upon it, communication then did happen. Yes, in that sense, yes. One thing that I've noticed of a similar sort of example that you gave there, where somebody may try parent-child, you go back adult-adult, yeah. and you keep going adult-adult until they until eventually they go to adult, which is what usually happens in that situation. Sometimes. And but what's what I've seen happen sometimes is as soon as they sort of get back in adult communication happens, then they kind of slip back to parent. So it's quite interesting how you've got to keep your wits about you mm. during that sort of thing because they quite happen if that's a habit of somebody like you said they've been doing it since they were four. Mm. Chances are they're going to do it. They're going to keep doing it. Well, what you have to bear in mind is that parent and child are what are called high energy states. Adult is a low energy state. You know, it takes quite a lot of conscious, it can take quite a lot of conscious uh, awareness to keep in adult ego state. We are naturally drawn often to parent control or child freedom, uninhibited, you know, runaway, that sort of thing. And so consequently, we, we, we can move ourselves into adult, but sometimes we are magnetically drawn to either parent or child. Because of the higher energy states. Yeah, yeah. And we want to exhibit that higher energy. Is it true to say that they're more natural states and an adult is a kind of affected state? No. I wouldn't or a ne- learned state? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say that. What's interesting is there's some psychology and physiology, human brain physiology is in a state of revolution at the moment. And there are centres of the brain which are associated with, shall we say, objectivity. You know, and in some people, those areas of the brain take quite a while to mature and develop. 
and in other individuals they mature quicker and sooner than others but typically they're not fully formed and in situ in many cases in some instances until the 20s so hmm. right so it, but it is still quite a natural part of the the human brain or the yeah, human yeah. psychology yes yeah so we've been talking then we've been building on the ego state that we talked about in the first podcast a long time ago over a year ago hmm. um we've built on that now and we're talking about what actually happens between different ego states these transactions yeah and you talked us through three different ones where there's rules which was the parallel or complementary one yeah where you get these sort of straight lines where i'm talking to your adult you answer back in adult or my parent talks to your child but you answer back child to parent so there's a a, a reflection and in that yeah. one you said that the rule was that communication happens continues yeah continues one way or another communication yeah. the second one you talked about was the crossed one which is where there is literally a, a the lines cross in the middle of the diagram and in that one you said that communication doesn't happen communication breaks down yes the third type you talked about was ulterior which was the the non-verbals when you say one thing but you mean another but you're doing that deliberately and the, yes. rule, the rule is we hear the ulterior we hear what's meant to be said not the actual words correct and there were the three with rules the fourth one was the sort of catch-all angular thing mm. which was everything else and you said there was no specific rules yeah, correct. So that's my summary. Yeah. Is there anything I've missed? No, no. And I think what you've got to you know, using those transactions is about becoming consciously aware of what is your response or state when you're dealing with somebody. And if it's not feeling constructive, you know, if you're getting these physiological triggers of fight or flight or something along those lines, then grounding technique can allow you to move into this adult ego state, which is an executive function or can operate as an executive function and allow you probably to make a more constructive choice of what ego state to employ or use. So you can rationally then decide, well, actually, I'm going to be in parent or Correct. I am going to be in child, but you're making that decision rationally and you're not being manipulated into it or pushed into it. Exactly. The other thing that you mentioned there, which I thought was interesting, and we skated straight over it, um, you said about you were feeling stressed. And I didn't know if that was one of the rules of transactional analysis, whereby stress could be defined, or at least one way of defining stress could be you're in an ego state you kind of don't want to be in, which is kind of what I thought you were saying. No, I th I, well, uh, I think stress is from uh, internal conflict of where you are feeling pushed or you're feeling disempowered and that it's that internal uh, it's that almost like internal dialogue of a voice in your head telling you to do something that you know is probably wrong or inappropriate or not that helpful so when this guy says this incredibly racist thing me trying to step back and escape from that is clearly wrong and i feel conflicted by not want, wanting to address that but not feeling empowered to do it until I use the grounding technique. And that's what caused you the stress, the disempowerment. Yes, in that instance. Okay, well, thank you very much for that, Gary. And I do realise we've skated over this quite quickly, and this isn't a theory that I understand particularly well, so some of my attempting to understand it <laughs> may not yeah. have been that helpful for the listener, but it was my attempt to try and understand what you're saying. But right. there is a lot more to this, and I know you've talked about it and blogged about it, so... I will provide a link on the website as well to your blog on LinkedIn so people can read this and absorb it a little bit more. And uh, you are a, a bit of an expert in this TA business. So 
I invite anybody to get in touch with Gary for more information on TA. Thank you very much. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> That's fine. No, I'm fine with that. Well, thank you very much, Gary, and I will look forward to the next instalment. Yes, uh, and me. So that was me talking to Gary about the second part of his series on transactional analysis, and I hope we'll be able to continue that series fairly soon. Not necessarily wait a full year as we did between parts one and two. So that's it. I will see you next month in August when we'll be going back to Christina Gad and talking about accelerated learning. And stay tuned if you want to hear Gary's best ever Thunderbirds joke. woman wakes up uh, and she looks out through the bedroom window and there's a gorilla up in the apple tree and she thinks oh my god what am I going to do about that so she thinks about Thunderbirds and she contacts Thunderbirds and the Thunderbirds arrive and um, they this guy comes across and said uh, right uh, we've got the gorilla removal kit Thunderbird 2, or, you know, the big Thunderbird 2. That, that yeah, yeah. Transporter arrives, and out of the transporter, this guy comes carrying a length of rope, a net, uh, a stick with a point on it, um, a shotgun, and a Jack Russell dog. And he says, look, uh, let me show you what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to throw this rope up into the tree and climb up with this stick. I'm going to poke the gorilla with the pointy stick. That will cause the gorilla to fall out of the tree. The Jack Russell will run up to the gorilla, grab the gorilla by the testicles, thus immobilizing it. I will, I will climb down, throw the net over the gorilla, and then we'll take it away. And uh, the woman looked at all this and says, right, okay, what's the shotgun for? And he said, uh, that's in case I fall out of the tree first. Shoot the dog. (laughs) (laughs) That that joke is decades old, but I still think it's funny. (laughs) I've never heard it before. That's good. I'm going to put that on after the music at the end for anybody that stays listening. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, it's if anybody bothers listening that far.